One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/achieve today. There was one really good small story that's been forgotten. Alan Titchmarsh ate a whole portion of fish and chips and a whole Easter egg and then had to be airlifted to hospital. Hi, I'm Sam Wolfson and welcome to the Vice UK podcast. We're reviewing the year because it's December and we're journalists and that's what we do. We're going to be talking in particular about some of the more made-up stories of the year, whether that's from misreporting or just straight-up fake news. We're joined by John, who runs that Twitter account, The Sun Apologises, to talk about how tabloids in particular provide misinformation. We're also joined by Ubar, Vice's human guinea pig, about all the messed-up stuff we've made him do this year. And Angus and Zing are here to talk about the stories that have affected them most and the stories they'd like to quickly forget. Angus Zing, how's it going? Good, thank you. Very well, thanks, Sam. This is roughly a review of the year podcast, but I did want to talk about the thing that I think has most annoyed me this year, which is the very idea that 2016 is shit. That kind of meme idea thing your dad posts on Facebook that kind of went from like a semi all right gag in like March when a few people died to like the most annoying thing in the world yeah. now. I think you're really right picking up like March and the people dying there. It feels like a thing that was kind of relevant maybe when oh look like Ronnie Corbett and David Bowie died really soon like really close to each other but then it kind of works less well when you're talking about like the failure of neoliberalism and like the end of uh Western democracy yeah. as we know it. And like, oh, grr, 2016, you bastard. It's just now been done to death. Yeah, and like, does this also ride on the idea that at the start of 2017, like, Bowie's going to come back to life. Obama's just going to go, oh, you know what, folks, I'm sticking around. And like, everything that has happened in 2016 is going to be undone. It's the implication that the year is the anomaly and that nothing that happened before 2016 is the cause of everything that happened this exactly. year. It's going to get somehow It's going to get so much worse. I mean, this is just like the kind of setting the scene for the for the shittery that's about to happen. Yeah. And that kind of fake escapism, you know, the idea that 2016 is just a kind of weird random thing like Leicester winning the league and next year it'll be back to normal. But I think it's also just really naive and quite cutely optimistic. You know, like, this is definitely the worst that humanity can sink to. This is 
eight, you guys. Once 2016 is over, everything's going to be better from here on out. And it's not, actually. I do think mankind has been on a slow trajectory towards just even worse and worse and worsening, you know, situations. Mm. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I guess every year brings about new trends, but I feel like in particular this year, there were trends that kind of lived and died in 2016. Things we'll never hear about again. Zing, does that ring a bell with you? Oh, definitely Pokemon Go, which people could not get enough of. God, do you remember Pokemon Go? Three weeks. Wow. I lasted yeah. for three Pokemon weeks. Go. Do you remember oh that? God. That was good. I remember when Pokemon Go first came to the UK and you walked out of the office and there were guys in suits wandering around in packs trying to find Pokemon and being like, oh, look, look at this new game. It's so uh, sick. You were literally doing that. Don't pretend that you weren't. I saw I know, you. Like, I, lo- <laughs> I was one of the first to do it and I was one of the first to stop. So I think feel like that maybe gives me slightly more of a leeway to criticise. I think that means you're a hipster. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad I never downloaded it because now I can just do the whole smug resolutely. I did not fuck Pokemon Go. I didn't do it at all and keep my brand intact. It's weird. That does actually feel like a lifetime ago, Pokemon Go, and it was only... Uh, the other day right and remember people were literally falling off cliffs quitting their jobs yeah you know, wasn't it it was like girlfriends. people were like people are gonna die and they were like everyone's getting everyone out of the house it's gonna be good for fat kids and all of this stuff mm-hmm. and then it's just gone away one thing that did eventually die this year was the huge enthusiasm for frank ocean to hurry up and release his album it's like where did that come from people don't release albums all the time there are literally hundreds of acts not releasing albums as we speak and yet that kind of anger and frustration week on week where he when he wouldn't release an album and the internet would explode with kind of damn you and then when it came out even though it was really really good (laughs) inevitably there was a kind of like deflation I actually feel really sorry for him in a way because I feel like he, he released, there couldn't be an album less suited to hype than the one he released. Yes, that's a very Like, it's good like point. the anti-hype album. It's just this very, very low-key, almost like ambient kind of R&B folky record that literally people have been going like, oh my God, it's here. Yeah. And then you put it on and it like, you're like, oh shit, what? And like, it's almost just yeah, like Yeah, and it's like, whispering. where's the single? Yeah. Yeah, I feel sorry for him in that sense. I don't really know why it fell to him to become like this just hype meme thing. The way that that excitement really got through into like, you know, Time magazine would do an article about like, Frank Ocean still hasn't released his album and the internet is furious. Like something about that period of waiting really got inside people's heads. But I also feel like people saying the internet is furious, like the internet is any one big collective entity and it kind of moves moods from one thing to another. It's mm. just ridiculous. It's just because, you know, bored journalists have to come up with copy and there's nothing that sells stories better than the internet is absolutely furious at this one person, whether it's Frank Ocean or Madonna or whatever. It feels like a development, like maybe this year, last couple of years of like the older more like stately publications trying to get down with the internet and mm. by doing that they comment loads on like meme of the month and oh you won't believe the internet can't believe this or like has gone into meltdown angus for you what's been the kind of the catchphrase of of 2016 uh, i just wrote an article um, about the sesh which the what? is the sesh oh the sesh as in the session yeah yeah, full yeah translation obviously the sesh being a term used to describe a binge or a bender drug-fueled kind of nihilistic like just getting fucked up for a very prolonged amount of time that session of getting completely 
fucked up. And that as an act has obviously been happening for, you know, since the middle of the 20th century. But I think that this year it's suddenly become this meme um, or maybe not quite a meme as much as just a neatly packaged kind of cultish glorification of the session. Like no kind of culture or music or scene in that sense, but literally just, oh my God, isn't it great getting like really fucked up for like a few days on end. And it's even got a Facebook page, doesn't it? Yeah, I spoke to the guys behind that. I spoke to the guys who, who started this Facebook page. They actually started it August of 2015, but I guess with all these things, it always takes a bit of time. But yeah, it's got this Facebook page with like so many fans and it is just like do it for this sesh and it's this straight it's just such a weird thing it's like this bravado in the most like pathetic scenes imaginable like people uploading videos of like their mates in like a pair of boxes k-holing trying to climb over a garden fence like and you can see they've shit themselves and everyone's just like yes the sesh we love the sesh we love the sesh which is a really strange place to have ended up after all the after all the years of party culture that we've had we've literally ended up at the point where no just just a bedroom and like four guys eating what's and trying to sing oasis songs whilst but, but that is basically what's left <laughs> i like the honesty yeah and it feels very 2016 i think as well the fact that basically people have looked around looked at their prospects looked at the state the world's in and gone like no let's skip the club let's not even throw a party let's just stay here and drink buck fast and do loads and loads of mdma mixed with mcat Sesh Gremlins, I believe. Sesh Gremlins, yeah, that that's, the their, term. that's their official yeah. term. Yeah, I'm not sure they're on Pokemon Go yet, but, you know, there's any time. In a minute, we're going to have a chat um, about some of the less truthful aspects of, of 2016, particularly in the news. But I wanted to ask you before we do, is there any, like, one story in this kind of shittery of a year? Um, oh, God, I'm doing it now. That has... Uh, 2016. 2016, it sucks! Uh, has any one story particularly got to you? There was one really good small story that's been forgotten. Alan Titchmarsh ate a whole portion of fish and chips and a whole Easter egg and then had to be airlifted to hospital as a result of that. What? Yeah, right? You is that you real knew? news? That is real news. <laughs> that is literally pre-truth, still when we were in the truth bit. No. Alan Titchmarsh ate a whole plate of fish and chips and then an Easter egg. Wasn't even Easter. And he was airlifted to hospital. No, that's not true. I'm Googling it now. I don't believe you. Mate, Google it. You can. That's that, and like, I, it makes me sad that so much has happened this year that that isn't the like what's on every what all our year reviews are all about. God, that is huge. That is as big as uh, Brian from E17 running himself over. Because and of I think it's maybe bigger. I think bigger. I think it just got lost. And also, imagine if he died. Imagine, imagine if that's how Titchmarsh went. Imagine if that's how he went. Because <laughs> then you'd have the whole, like, oh, my God, so sad. Alan Titchmarsh has died. But also, also, it happened because he ate too much fish and chips and Easter egg, not at Easter. Well, those were the feel-good stories of the year. In a moment, we're going to be talking to John, who runs the Sun Apologizes Twitter, about some of the more miserable and also more made-up stories that have come out in 2016. But before that, how can I explain Ubar? He's kind of like a vice guinea pig who consumes the news as it happens and then finds some ridiculous act by which to... Uh, Take it one step further. Uh, Here's how he would put it. Making a living out of this is pretty funny, (laughs) I suppose, yeah. And what is this? Oh, my God. Uh, I don't know. Turning, transforming... 
I don't know, making my life a surreal thing. I don't know, yeah, living in a shed and being silly for a living is pretty, it's pretty good. When I'm sort of like meeting people like, and they ask me like, oh, what are you doing now then, Uborg? You go back home to your, to your home town. What are you doing now? And I don't really know how to answer that question. I say, I'm a sort of journalist, I suppose. There's a lot of weird shit that I've done that I'm really glad that there's uh, smarter people above me who decided that it shouldn't be seen by the public. Okay, so the top three pieces I've done for Vice this year. Number three is probably the sex robot piece I just did, where we rebuilt Mew, but my affordable sex robot, and took it to uh, the British Invention Show. Presented it in front of lots of rich businessmen and asked for funding for this my sex robot which is affordable it's great it's available www.ubot.com that doesn't exist so humiliating like being thrown out of that thing it's like really like stoic businessman being like completely people were so offended by it I think they thought that it was a bit insensitive Matt got a pumpkin that you fuck as its head it's got a, a mop head uh, for pubes and, uh, and a phallus that comes out of the mop, mop head. So at number two, I reckon it would be the uh, piece where I played Pokemon Go without a phone. Went out into the world and just sort of went around people that were playing it and just dressed as Ash Ketchum. You know, just sort of, sort of had. I made my own little pokeballs. I just imagined that there was something there. You know, it was like being a child again. It was very liberating. Yeah. Paul Ross brought me on a show to talk about it. That was weird. It's just like, do I bring up the methadone addiction? Do I not? No. Just talk about Pokemon over. Just stick. Just stick to that. Okay, so the number one piece of advice I think I've done this year, probably the like Halloween piece. I went trick or treating uh, at 25, my age now. Tried to get in on the kids' action. You know, I was sick, sick of them kind of uh, all in the roost every uh, October 31st. So I dressed up as the spider that I'm scared from in my toilet, and then went out there and tried to f- cross everything off a shopping list for my neighbours. You know what is really fucking stupid? that I didn't choose to do it in a different neighbourhood. Because since then, <laughs> so many people have been, like, looking at me weirdly in Sainsbury's. I'm like, why are they looking at me so long? And I realised it's one of the mums that would shook their heads and shut the door in my face as I was asking them for a fucking bag of potatoes, you know. It's just such a stupid idea. But, man, I crossed most of the stuff off the list. You wouldn't believe it. People were so up for being involved in the thing. The other day, I was at Brixton Tube and I had my bike with me. I was arguing with the train man. Didn't have a way of locking up my bike. I was like, come on, man. Like, I was arguing this guy back and forth. And some guy, like, I noticed in my periphery, like, some guys just stood next to me, kind of just giggling. And I was like, you right, man? And he's like, you're okay? And he's like, are you doing a piece? What do you mean? Are you doing a piece, are you? And it's like... We're having a mundane argument with the train man. People think that the motive of it is that I'm doing something fucking silly. I didn't realise that this thing had a had a uh, a lot had a 
a shelf life until that moment. Yeah. Thanks very much, Ubar. I'm sorry for the things we made you do in 2016. I'm sure we will continue to make you do things in 2017. Angus and Zinger still here, um, and John is joining us as well now. John, for people who don't know what the Sun Apologises Twitter is, can you kind of give us an explanation? The premise was pretty simple. It was based on the idea that apologies that newspapers um, publish are always very small, always buried you know, many pages deep into their newspapers or on obscure parts of the website. Uh, so the idea was, uh, with reference to The Sun, was to try and create an account which highlighted those apologies, uh, made them more public uh, on Twitter and Facebook. These are normally the things that happens you know, when someone complains or says something is factually incorrect. Yeah, That's yeah. normally the response, right? A small a small written, this was wrong. I was getting as frustrated as many people were with, with the fact that the Mail and the Sun and the Express were publishing really small apologies. Those that are kind of pointedly uh, bigoted, it's the effect those headlines have when those stories are published, and I don't think it's fair that those apologies are so small and ineffective afterwards. Um, and it's not just where it appears on the newspapers, it can then be sort of regurgitated by people like Britain First um, and more right-wing kind of uh, Facebook pages and websites. And I think that's when the damage is done, it's sort of out there in the system at that point. Mistakes, errors are absolutely fine, they're excusable, we all, we all make them. But I think when you've got what seems to be a quite a pointed agenda, which isn't really being checked by Ipso, that I think then causes problems. Let's talk about then some of the stories from 2016 that were either misreported or perhaps sent people's uh, attention in the wrong direction. I mean, I know the one that sticks in my mind from only a couple of weeks ago, quite silly thing about the £5 note, which uh, there was a huge petition from 100,000 vegetarians and vegans and religious reasons and stuff saying that the £5 note contained uh, tallow, which is made from cows and uh, we did some very back of an envelope calculations advice, but worked out that probably in the entire five-year run of new five-pound notes that are being made, which is millions and millions of notes, there's about half a cow's worth of, of tallow contained. Now, that's not to say that those people, you know, there's, it's okay to protest things for religious reasons or whatever, but that certainly was left out of the initial reporting of the story, and maybe people would have been slightly less upset about the £5 notes if, if that had been there, that kind of little bit of research at the beginning. You kind of got the idea that there was an entire factory farm of cows going off to the slaughter just so we could, you know use five pound notes for own selfish purposes mm. and of course when there is a story like that that captures the popular imagination in a way it ignores hundreds of other animal rights stories that would have been better to focus on you know we like the idea that there's some kind of grand conspiracy going on with our money and so that becomes a big story and you know i mean a hundred thousand signatures on a, on a parliamentary petition in a few days is, is quite phenomenal actually so john like what for you since you've been doing the twitter account what was a story that you were really thought kind of stood out as above and beyond from the sandal um yeah i think in fairness to the sun i think quite a few of them have been covered by um, the other tabloids as well, but um, God, there was loads. I mean, I've made I made a list which I kind of had to stop after a while. But um, there was the, obviously the Queen Brexit front page, which was the Queen backs Brexit, mm. which um, was based on a supposed conversation between Michael Gove and and the Queen. I think which was overheard by Nick Clegg, which he then denied. But again, Ipso challenged that and said, "You don't have any evidence to say that that happened." One one of the big ones that stood out for me, and it's I think it's, it stands out because it happens year after year. Brits not fair. Four in five jobs go to foreigners. That was based on the Office of National Citizenship 
statistics employment figures um, and they represented it as four in five jobs going to foreigners. They based that figure on the year-on-year rise in foreign-born workers in the first quarter of 2016 uh, and divided it by the annual rise in UK employment, right. um, which is quite misleading. I mean, if you sort of d- dig down into it a bit more, um, the first thing is you can be born abroad without being classed as foreign. Sure. Um, so you're not necessarily foreign in that, rec- uh, in that respect. And uh, non-UK nationals working in the UK increased by 229,000, which is actually 50%, 56% of the total rise in employment, not 80%. Right. What happened basically was that um, the Office of National Statistics actually said in their statistics that this doesn't represent how many jobs are being taken by foreigners. We don't actually have statistics to say how many jobs are taken by foreigners. Right. Uh, long story short, um, that's the um, headline that goes out. Sure. And that then, again, got spread by Britain First and quite a few right-wing publications. And then you just see the comments underneath on Facebook and, and the websites. They know the effect it's having. You know, it's ban them all, send them home. British jobs for British workers, which I think has both been a Tory and a Britain First slogan at some point or another. And um, certainly that was a big part of the narrative of the Brexit campaign and, other, you know, that jobs we were losing out on jobs for people born in Britain too. Yeah, well, that, story, that story kind of amazes me, though, because that's not necessarily skipping fact checking. That's like you check the facts and then you go, eh, fuck it. Like, let's just do our own version. Like, yeah. you actually have them there. You haven't decided not to go and double check. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not, I won't read out all the numbers. Cause I think that will make for a very boring segment of this podcast if I do it. But if you, to see. <laughs> <laughs> if you check online and look on the Office of National Statistics website, um, I think um, I think BuzzFeed may well have done a piece on it as well at the time. And then when uh, the Sun had to apologise for it, um, it's very clearly not four in five jobs going to foreigners. It's a small amount, but obviously damage done by that point. That was before Brexit. And then the apology was made months after it. So You just kind of have to feel for the guys in the ONS. They must be like banging their head against the wall, knowing that no matter what they put out without however many caveats, there's going to be someone who writes mm. a headline. It's all gone to the foreigners. And I think also the way that news is disseminated now, often people aren't getting news from the original source. They're getting it from the meme that was made of the article or the screen grab of the front page or whatever it is. So even though, you know, you might be pointing attention to it on your Twitter and the sun will apologise, by that point, like you say for the various interest groups, statistics like that would help. It's already out there. And there was an absolutely cracking one this year in terms of dodgy use of statistics, which was on a male paternal leave, um, which was reported everywhere. I can't remember the exact numbers, but they basically said something like only uh, 1% of men had taken like a very tiny number. You know, there's a big law change that men would be able to take paternal leave and only a very tiny percentage of men, they said, had taken up and it was re- debated on all the sort of Sunday news shows. And the statistics that had been brought out, were it, they'd taken it from the sample of all men, whether they'd had a baby or not. So if every man who had had a baby in the country had taken male paternal leave last year, it would still have only been 5% of all men. Um, and actually, it's had quite a good uptake, a better, like well in line with the government's targets for it. I think what's happened is that the internet has kind of bled into real life and into real life journalism in ways that a lot of journalists and editors weren't prepared for. So if you look at what happened with Pizzagate, which is this insane online conspiracy theory that Hillary Clinton is somehow involved in a global paedophile and child trafficking ring, um, which somehow like finds its like HQ in this random Washington DC pizza place. Um, and, you know, no one really paid that much attention to it. Everyone just thought it was just, you know, crazy people on the internet. And then a guy with a gun turns up at the pizza place and says he just wants to find out what's going on. And that's when you think, oh shit, actually, just 
the random stuff that people say on the internet has a very real effect. I mean, the pizza place has effectively had to call in 24-hour security now because it's so scared for its customers. It's not really the most ideal place to sell pizza now. It's like the extent of it as well. Like This has felt like the year where everyone's just pushed to the furthest possible maximum how much like bullshit you can tell people that they'll still then just go like, yep, yep, that all sounds good. Like, literally, <laughs> like really, really mad stuff. Like... Well, I mean, even the fact that Donald Trump, host of The Apprentice, is now the president. Like, do you know what I mean? It just feels like a like a game of chicken of like, how crazy can we make this before that everything that led up to the Brexit campaign was essentially like banners just that were just had lies written across them. And I don't even mean that in like a really kind of like fuck Brexit man, it's all <laughs> lies. Like, but literally like factually incorrect things in massive letters. So to me, I think the maddest thing about this year is I I, I feel it's probably a boiling point that we've reached that's been coming for a while but it's just the how extreme it's been this year like cartoonishly extreme there's nothing wrong in, if, if your readership are interested in muslim extremism for whatever reason there's nothing wrong in presenting those stories but i think they quite often conflate being a muslim with being a terrorist um and they're, they're pretty they're pretty reckless with the language they use when when they're presenting those sort of stories um and again like i say if you look at the comments on on their website and on their tweets they're horrific uh, for example uh, the sun i think recently did a story about a migrant boat sinking um and the comments are disgusting you know you wouldn't expect to read them anywhere you know it's like good that's 500 more gone that won't get here uh shark food that sort of thing but can the sun be blamed for the language of its that's kind of what i was gonna say I, think I sometimes my only worry sometimes is whether tabloids give us an easy way out of record like admitting to the fact that there are just some really like foul people if it's a story that's just presented as as, as that and, mm. and those are the comments then no they can't be blamed for the comments that they're i mean there's some pretty foul comments all... on the guardian and, and cnn and the rest yeah, of it yeah the point was the sun are well aware of the sort of the sort of thinking that their readers have and that's not all some readers at all by any means but they're aware of the audience that those stories have so then when they do fire up a story that's more inflammatory such as um, a taxi driver or a train driver crashing because he was fasting due to ramadan and then you dig down into it and he it was it wasn't anything to do with ramadan um you know, medical tests proved so that there was nothing wrong with fasting at all um when you get stories that are pointedly saying he's a muslim and it's because of that that he did this or it led to that i think that's very different and they know the audience that are reading it, and I think that's when they know they're stoking, stoking the flames. And if it generates clicks to the website, if it generates sales in newspapers, it seems to be that's OK. And I sort of hesitate to mention a Joe Cox murder because, you know, that, that isn't linked to any particular newspaper or news organisation. But if you've got a man who's so fearful for his country and for his way of life that he shouts Britain first and murders his own MP... Uh, based on the idea that she's supportive of of housing some refugees in the UK. I think, you know, you have to take into consideration how much of that was fueled by what he read and what he saw in the media. I think one of the most shocking and and kind of horrifying decisions by the tabloid media this year is for the male to not put that man's guilty verdict on the front page. In fact, it was buried... Page 30, wasn't it? Yeah, page 30. Yeah. And of course, you know, no get prizes for guessing what would have been if it had been a Muslim man. I mean, I think that mm. the choice not to put that story on the front page, not to alert their readers, not to even make mention to the fact that this guy was a far-right terrorist who believed probably a lot of the same things that they believed in more extreme versions... 
is yeah. that sin of omission is as great as a sin of of yeah. of lying. And also the way that they reported the ongoing case. So you know there was an article I think which kind of said you know the reason why he murdered Joe Cox. It was heavily implied at least was because he feared losing his council house to a family mm. to an immigrant family. So then you you kind of look at a headline that, like that and you think okay well this is a stretch. And then you read the actual article and you realize that they've talked to two neighbours, one of which kind of said, I think he was afraid that they were going to take his house from him. And then the second neighbour said, but, you know, it's not like they would have given him another house. So what was the point? So what was the point of running that story? All right. I mean, we are supposed to be reviewing the year. So just to finish off, can you each pick a story that has really ground your gears? I don't know what the points uh, this year from the press. I was going to say... For me, one that just really got on my nose, and maybe I'm being a bit mean and vindictive, but the Brains, an Australian family who'd come to Scotland uh, on initially a student visa, and then there was going to be a post-student visa for two years, uh, and that program was cancelled. And basically, it was kind of all done by the book. They, it was always going to be a temporary visa. They were always going to either have to apply for a new visa um, or go back to Australia. And yet, the way it's been reported in the press, this one very beautiful, nice white family from Australia as like this great injustice and they've been, you know, meeting with Nicola Sturgeon and it's crazy, like Scotland needs immigrants, which may well be true, but there are so many horrifying deportations every year in this country, um, often of people who were born here but whose parents weren't, of people who've lived here for 15, 20 years, of people who've worked here. Stories that are completely unreported. I mean, not even just like a page 30 situation, but completely unreported in lots of newspapers, uh, tabloids and otherwise. To me, that's like just a classic example of putting all the focus on something there, providing a small amount of misinformation about you know whether they should or shouldn't be here, and then just distracting from, from the wider such circumstance. What about you guys? Anything that particularly wound you up, big or small? I was frustrated that we still don't seem to have got to the bottom of what happened between Stephen Wolfe and Mike Hookham in the uh, European Parliament. I feel like that was... In a year where a lot of really crazy shit happened, that was, like, up there. Like, potentially the maddest... I know maybe not in terms of its long-term impact, but the fact that two UKIP MEPs had a punch-up and one of them ended up hospitalised sprawled out in like the most dramatic pose I've any ever seen anybody end up in after a fight like that bird's eye photo of him like in full chalk pose for somebody ready to come along and like investigate the murder scene John I'll leave the last word with you any one story that particularly of all the ones you've covered on your Twitter <laughs> that you thought was a real stinker um do you know what I think there's been so many, it's almost you feel numb now. We've got to December. <laughs> feels like you're numb and defeated. Um, so I don't think there is one anymore that really sticks out, but I, I, I'm going to go with one of the more recent ones because I think that, that's still fresh in the memory, which was um, about um, Muslims calling for a halal alternative to Peppa Pig. Oh, yes, I did um, see this. Which uh, was... Uh, uh, obviously rubbish again and that was based on um, I think it was uh, an imam who had said that um, he'd actually quite like there to be an alternative to uh, he, didn't, he didn't actually even mention Peppa Pig, he just said a cartoon uh, which taught um, Muslim values to children 
obviously the the comments you got after that which was don't they know where they live you know if they want muslim pepper pig then go back to your own home or you know this, this is and again I mean, maybe what, they were just confused because there might not be a halal alternative to pepper pig but there is a very good halal alternative to percy pig <laughs> which i can strongly recommend oh, yeah, i'm surprised that wasn't that wasn't um uh, picked up actually but um yeah i mean you know i mean it's a it's a comical sort of story and i think that the, the imam that was quoted um hadn't even heard of pepper pig so i think he'd he'd gone away he'd, he'd made this comment ages ago in a video he'd gone away and come back to all this uproar about how he wants an alternative and I had to come out and say i'm really sorry i didn't say that and i don't even know what pepper pig is uh, this is in australia so yeah um you know and it, it's funny it's ridiculous it's kind of like 2016 really um but again there's the serious point of you know they, they were trying to say here look at these muslims they don't want to integrate they don't want to watch the ch- uh, pr- uh, cartoons we're watching they want their own and Again, it, it seems like an insignificant story, a stupid story, but when there's tons of them every week, um, and they have been uh, this year and, and last year and the year before, I think it's it's something that really needs to be put in checks, really. John, thank you very much. Uh, you can follow the Sun Apologises at Sun Apology on Twitter. Um, Angus and Zing, thanks very much for being here. Uh, this has been the Vice UK podcast produced by Sam Bonham at Rethink Audio. We will be back next week. <laughs>